Good morning, everyone. If you would keep your Bibles open there to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to spend most of our time there this, this morning. It's a, a blessing to be together. And thank you to all of you who uh, came out on this little dreary day outside, but uh, beautiful to be together and worship the Lord. It's really encouraging. Uh, the prayers that have been led, the words that have been read from the scriptures, and the songs that we sang. Just blessed to be here with you all. Uh, thank you for your presence. Um, today I want to talk to you about prayer, and uh, this is going to be nothing more than uh, a brief introduction to prayer. Um, not sure how brief, but we're going to work on a brief introduction to prayer. We're not going to exhaust this topic or come anywhere close to that today. Um, but I do want to impress upon you as we begin just the importance of this topic. Uh, I was thinking about this uh, even this morning. Never has there been a subject that I've been so passionate about preaching that I've had so much trouble practicing in my life as prayer. Uh, this is a really important subject. And, uh, and I don't speak to you because on this matter because it's something that I feel like I am uh, strong at or mature in. I speak to you on this matter because it's a matter of great importance in Scripture. And there's a danger, I think, that we can all fall into. And we often fall into it as quickly as we wake up in the morning. And the danger is that we can get to thinking that because our bodies function right and because we breathe and we're able to get up and we're able to feed ourselves and we're able to put on our clothes and we're able to go about our business, that we can start to think, we can start to become delusional and think that we're able to do great things and we're able to accomplish great works all by ourselves. There's a danger of thinking that maybe, you know what, maybe I can really do great and awesome things. I think that's even a danger for us as a church. You know, we've embarked on this new work together um, as a community um, where we're seeking to bring others to the Lord and we're seeking to grow ourselves up in, in maturity into Christ and we're seeking to bear fruit for God. And I think there's a danger that we are already facing and will continue to face as we work together to build up the kingdom of God here in Brooklyn. And it's really a danger that stems from our own pride. Sometimes we're tempted to think that if we just have the right approach, if we just have the right methods, the right resources and material, the right principles, if we just devoted to the, to the right truth, that we can convert people to God all by ourselves. That we can grow ourselves up into maturity. That we can produce fruit for God. And let me suggest this from the start. I think this is really important for us to consider. Biblical principles, biblical methods... Biblical approaches and biblical truth divorced from the God who created them will not produce the fruit that we're to them. Do you understand what I'm saying? That is, we can have all the right truth. We can, we can understand all the right teachings. We can know the right doctrine. We can, we can know the right approaches, the right methods. But if it's all divorced from the God who gave us that truth, then we're not going to accomplish anything. John 15 and verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. 
For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see Jesus' point? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, the psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. If it's not God who's at work, then all of our work will be in vain. You can work all day long, seven days a week, 365 days a year, till the day you die, no matter how hard you work, it cannot make up for the absence of God. Only God can create new hearts. Only God can, has the power to transform and the power to save. Only God has the ability to do the kind of work that we are hoping to accomplish here as his people. And so it's important for us to think about how, can we, how do we stay connected with God? And this is what brings us uh, to, to prayer. And, and, and today, in our lesson, I want us to talk about um, three things, just simple things. I want us to talk about what is prayer? What does the Bible teach us about what is prayer? Um, why must we pray? And, uh, and how do we pray? We're going to focus primarily on Matthew chapter 6. I may allude to some other passages, but what is prayer? Why should we pray? And, and, and how do we pray? Now, I want to say again, I'm, there's a whole lot more than what I'm saying on this discussion today. Uh, but I just want to give you a few things from this text in Matthew chapter 6. It's really important for you to understand this, though, as we start. The prayer permeates the scriptures. From beginning to end, you see people devoting themselves to prayer in Scripture. It's all over the Bible. And there are lots of ways that the Bible speaks about prayer, um, defines prayer, or, or, or teaches us about what prayer is. One of the earliest ways that you see in the Scriptures uh, describing prayers found in 1 Samuel 1, or, or in Genesis chapter 12, where Abraham builds an altar to the Lord, and the text tells us there that he called upon the name of the Lord. Uh, we sing that song, I will call upon the Lord, from the song. What are we doing when we call upon the Lord? We're coming to God in prayer. We're calling upon God. Uh, so prayer is calling on the name of the Lord. Uh, another one of my favorite ways that the Bible describes prayer um, is found in 1 Samuel 1 and verse 15, where the text tells us that Hannah was, uh, was struggling with not having a child, and she's praying. And the way the Bible describes it is she was pouring out her soul to the Lord. Prayer is pouring out your soul to God. Psalm 42 is another great example of that. The psalm that begins, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. And in that psalm, he pours out his soul to the Lord. Prayer is pouring out your soul to the Lord. Um, another way that the Bible describes prayer, though, think about this. There's, there's, there's really two parts to communication, right? If you want to have a strong relationship, there's uh, two things that are necessary. You have to listen, and you also have to talk, right? That's how you develop relationships. Having one without the other doesn't work very well. Isn't that right? Um, have you ever had a friend uh, who was so busy talking to you that they never could listen? What are those relationships like? They're hard, right? Uh, it's tough. Um, actually, on the flip side of that, too, though, uh, this may be a little more rare uh, to experience, but, but it's also true that sometimes you'll have a person that will listen, 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 but they never speak. And that, too, can be distressing, right? That, too, can be hard. Some of you are shaking your head out of your head about that. Yeah. Um, 
it's hard to be in relationships where you have one without the other. And if, if the Bible teaches us that devoting ourselves to the Word of God is how we listen to Him, then the Bible is also showing us that prayer is how we talk to Him. Prayer is how we talk to the Father. I want you to notice in Matthew chapter 6, there's a lot of ways that Jesus could have described prayer or spoke about prayer. But the one thing that I noticed that stands out, that Ryan pointed out, even in his prayer and in his comments, is that, that the approach in prayer that Jesus is teaching them is to pray to our Father. That is, that essentially prayer is about communicating with our Father. When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he teaches them to pray to our Father who is in heaven. In fact, notice this. In verse 5 he says, When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to them, they, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When Jesus teaches them to pray, he says, pray in this way, our Father who is in heaven. Notice the emphasis that Jesus is giving here. And I want you to think about what Jesus is saying here. He's making actually an important distinction. If you look in verse 7, he says, when you're praying, don't use meaningless repetition. Or, uh, or, or one translation I read said, don't go on blabbing um, with empty words. Uh, as the Gentiles do, or as the pagans do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask Him. I want you to think about, what is Jesus really saying here? He's making a very important distinction uh, about different kinds of prayer. There's a kind of pagan prayer, and then there's a kind of disciple prayer, or, or, or Christian prayer, that Jesus is describing here. Um, and, and Jesus is showing us what prayer is and what it's not. What he's saying is that many people try to use prayer as a means to get what they want through their own merit, their own performance, or their own uh, flowery words, their own empty words. And this is what he describes as pagan prayer. In contrast, though, he says Christian prayer is, is actually how we talk to the father of our family. And you guys understand this, right? There's a difference between our business relationships and our family relationships, right? There's a big difference between how we treat uh, people in business relationships and in family relationships. In life, you have both. You have some relationships that would be described as business relationships. And those relationships are built on what I can do or what I have to offer you, right? Isn't that how a business relationship works? You offer something and you expect something in return. You give something and you expect to get something in return. That's how business relationships work. But family relationships are different. Family relationships are based on not what I can do for you or what I have for you, but who I am to you. Family relationships are based on who I am. So a business relationship is based on performance. But a family relationship is based on loyalty and commitment. 
business relationships tend to be conditional, right? Family relationships are unconditional. So I want you to think about what this means for us in prayer. You can approach prayer as like a business, or you can approach prayer as like a family. And think about this. Yeah, Cliff, can you get some more seats in the back? Sure. Think about this. In your, in your relationships, you can approach prayer like a business. You can say, well, if I just say the right words, if I just, you know, it's kind of, sometimes we view God kind of like a vending machine, right? If I just punch the right buttons, say the right words in the right way, out will pop whatever kind of candy or soda I want from God, right? Whatever I want from God. Some people approach God that way. You can approach him on a, on a business relationship, or you can approach God as a family relationship. But let me suggest this. If your approach to God is like that, if it's a business relationship, you know what you're going to end up as? Either angry or anxious. Let me explain why. One of two things is going to happen. When you pray your prayers and you expect God to give you what you want in the way you want, oftentimes what happens? So many of us have tried that, right? And what happens? Doesn't always happen the way we want. Doesn't always come the way we're hoping. Doesn't always come when we're hoping that way. Which leads to one of two things. Either I may become angry. I may say, well, God owes me this and he's not giving it to me. And I get frustrated because I have this business approach toward God. God, I did this for you. Why aren't you doing this for me? God, I prayed this way to you. Why aren't you giving this to me? Or sometimes... What it leads to is anxiety. If you approach God as a businessman, it'll lead you to great guilt and anxiety. God, I pray this way, and you aren't answering. There must be something wrong with me. There must be something messed up about me, and, and I become anxious and overwhelmed with fear. But family relationships are very different. If you approach God as your father, your heavenly father, you can find real peace. Now, maybe you're thinking, wait a second. I have a father, and I've never found any peace with my father. There may be some people in this audience who have never had a good relationship uh, with their earthly father. So I want you to think about this. The one thing about earthly fathers is whether they want to do what's best for the children or not, earthly fathers can always fail. And even good ones can fail. Even good fathers can fail. Uh, three, there's three ways that... Fathers can fail. Sometimes fathers actually don't want what's best for their children. And that's really terrible. It shouldn't be that way. But it's true. In the broken world, sometimes there are fathers who really don't love their children and don't actually want what's best for their children. And so our earthly fathers can fail. Um, sometimes our earthly fathers may want what's best for us, but they don't know what's best for us. Sometimes they may be limited by their own knowledge or wisdom. And they may be doing what they think is best or, do, or trying to do something that they, 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 they feel like uh, they want to do for their children, but it may not be what's best for them. Earthly fathers are limited by their wisdom and by their knowledge. So earthly fathers don't always know what's best. They don't always want what's best. Also, sometimes they know what's best and they want what's best, but they don't actually have the ability to do what is best. Uh, sometimes I'll talk about my father. 
uh, wanted to send me to college and wanted to pay for my school. But by the time I got college age, school was too expensive. My father couldn't afford to pay for my school. Some fathers want to do good things for their children. They want to do what's best. They're just not able to because they don't have the ability to provide what is best. But think about this. I think it's interesting that when Jesus begins his prayer, he doesn't say our king. He doesn't say our creator. All of those things are true about God and even emphasized in the prayer. But, but he actually begins by saying our father who is in heaven. Because what does that remind you about God? It reminds you that we have a Father who loves us, who wants what's best for us. We have a Father who knows everything. He sees everything. He knows, in fact, what is best for us. And we have a Father who has the ability. He's, he has all power. He's able to provide what is best for us. So you see how pray, choosing to approach God as our Father, choosing to approach prayer as speaking to your Father is a totally different approach than approaching it as a prayer as a, as a business transaction. And it's important for us to approach God that way. To see prayer as an opportunity for us to simply talk with our Father in heaven. To pour out our hearts to Him. To tell Him what our desires are. To, to, to pour out our needs to Him. Trusting that He's our Father. And He wants what's best for us. He knows what's best for us. And he's able to provide what is best for us. Let's talk for a moment about why we should pray. What, if God already knows what we need, I mean, Jesus even said, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So what's the point of telling him? What's the point of talking to God in prayer if he already knows everything? What's the point of even just praying? And, and this is where I think sometimes we have a misconception about prayer. We think of prayer as a means to get what we need to inform God about what our needs are and tell Him what we want and tell Him what we desire. But actually, that's not the primary emphasis of prayer in the Scripture. And it's not even the primary emphasis of, square, uh, of prayer in this passage. Notice what Jesus is showing us in this text. Look at how He begins His prayer. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. You see the beginning of this prayer? What is Jesus focusing on? It's not about him. It's about God. Prayer is not primarily about us. It's about, it's about drawing us near to God, helping us to develop a relationship with him. And actually what Jesus is showing us in this text is that prayer is not primarily a means through which we make God aware of our own will and our desires. Prayer is actually how our will is brought into harmony with God's will. Prayer is about us learning to, learning to desire the things that God desires, to want the things that God wants. And that's in fact what Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. Notice it's interesting here that he says... Um, Pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would we pray that? Well, think about this. Is God's will done in heaven? Yes, it is. Just as God's will is being done in heaven, we're praying that God's will be done on earth. But what's the difference between heaven and earth? God still has the same power on earth that he has in heaven. What's the difference? The difference is our hearts, right? We're praying your will be done on earth. That is, your will be done in my life. Your will take control of my heart, take control of the way that I live, take control of 
my life. It's in our hearts that God's will is sometimes ignored or neglected. And so Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray that God's will be done in our hearts and in our lives, just as it is done in heaven. In fact, as you look at the story of Jesus, and you look, as you look at the prayer of Jesus throughout his life, that's exactly what we see. Jesus saw prayer not as a way to get what he wanted from God, but as a way to get more of God in himself. That's the way we should approach prayer. If there was ever somebody who didn't need to pray, wouldn't it have been Jesus? I mean, think about it. Like, you're Jesus. Why are you crying? Like, what? But it's actually interesting. Even Jesus felt the need for time alone with God in solitude where he could be in prayer. In fact, Luke goes to great pains throughout his gospel to talk about how Jesus is always praying. Um, In fact, uh, we notice in, from the Gospel of Luke in, that when Jesus was baptized, the scripture says, the Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him as he was praying. And when Jesus began to preach, uh, the Gospel of Mark tells us he would rise early in the morning to get away, to find a place of solitude where he could be in prayer with his Father. This is interesting. In, in Mark chapter 1, and verse 35, it says, While it was still dark early in the morning, Jesus got up, he left the house, he went away to a secluded place, and was praying there. Simon and his companions came and searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everybody's looking for you. And Jesus said this. He said, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby for that, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. Now, I thought, well, that's kind of weird. How does Jesus, crowds are looking for him, Jesus runs the other direction. What's going on here with Jesus? You notice what, what's actually happening here? Jesus is being tempted by the disciples to pursue popularity. But actually, as Jesus is spending time in prayer, he's, he's realigning his heart with the will of God. He's, being, he's recommitting himself to God. And so as he's been praying, when the disciples come to him, and say, hey, let's go back into town. That's where everybody's at. Uh, Jesus says, no, that's not the will of God. The will of God is for me to preach. The will of God is for me to share the gospel. And so Jesus' time in prayer is reaffirming or recommitting himself to the will of God. We see that all throughout the gospel. I mentioned already, Luke 5, 16, notes this, that, that Jesus often withdrew from ministering to the people to find solitude and prayer. And even in moments of great temptation, in fact, especially, especially in moments of great temptation, we see Jesus praying, not only for himself, but also for his disciples. Do you remember this in the garden, the night before his betrayal? What did Jesus spend the night doing? He spent the whole night in prayer while the disciples slept. If you want to learn prayer, a good place to turn, John chapter 17. See what Jesus prayed for. See what Jesus said in his prayer. See the things that he was praying for. The disciples were just like us, you know, not really seeing the importance of prayer, distracted by more important things like sleep, right? Um, We tend to be that way. But actually, Jesus is showing them that actually the strength that he was gaining to overcome temptation came from his time with God in prayer. And I want you to think about uh, maybe sometimes the reasons we're struggling so much in overcoming sin and overcoming temptation is that we haven't been spending time in prayer. Do you remember in the garden, it was Jesus praying, Father, if you're willing, 
let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I will, but your will be done. Jesus prayed in the garden, and, and even at the point of death on a cross, what do we see Jesus doing? Praying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Into your hands I commit my spirit. From beginning to end, Jesus' ministry was permeated with prayer. And he taught his disciples to pray for the same reason. There's a strange passage in the Gospel of Matthew. It's also mentioned in, in, in Luke, in Matthew 10 and Luke 10, um, where Jesus actually tells his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You probably remember that part, right? Right after that, he says, pray, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest. And right after he prays, he tells them to pray that, he turns around and he sends them out. And I often wonder, like, what's going on there with Jesus? If he's about to send them out as workers, why do they need to pray for more workers? Because you know what I've come to realize? I think what's happening there is that Jesus is actually helping them through prayer to align their hearts with God's desire, with God's will. That's what that prayer was about. Yeah, the workers that Jesus is about to send out are them. They needed to be the ones doing the work, and what would prepare them for that work is spending time praying with God. By praying that God would send more workers, they're aligning themselves with the will of God and preparing their hearts to be sent out. Consider this too. In, the God, in, in uh, Luke's second book, in the book of Acts, Luke notes over and over again that the disciples were devoted to prayer all throughout the book of Acts. Prayer, you could say prayer was the oil that ran the machine, the evangelistic machine of the early church. As they continued in prayer, they were constantly being recommitted and realigned to the will of the Father. And that's why the Bible keeps emphasizing the gospel, in, in the book of Acts that they're devoted to the word and to prayer. And I want to suggest this. The same is true for us today. Often, we're thinking, on just at an individual level, we're thinking, what do I want to do today? How do I want to live? And when we think that way, we're really thinking that way because we're not praying, right? Because if I'm praying, I'll be thinking, not just how do I want to live, what do I want to do, but what does God want from me? How does God want me to live? How does God want me to use my time? How does God want me to be spending my days? As we're praying, we've come to see more clearly the purpose of God. To learn what it is that God wants from us so that we can want that too. If prayer is really so important, though, why, why do we struggle so much with it? There's a couple of things I think are problematic for us. Number one, we're too busy, right? Isn't that often why we say, I can't pray, I'm just too busy? Interestingly, uh, I think it was Martin Luther who said... Um, I have so much to do that I'll spend the first three hours in prayer. He said, I have so much to do that I'll spend the first three hours in prayer. What do we say? I have so much to do. I don't have three minutes to pray, right? That's kind of the way we think. But you know what he understood? He understood that he needed God. For everything that he was trying to accomplish, he needed God. We often think, well, I'm so busy, I don't have time to waste praying. But that's because we've forgotten what Jesus said, that apart from me, you can do nothing. We don't understand the purpose and power of prayer. The truth is, we're not too busy to pray. We're really too busy not to pray. 
for all the things that we're trying to accomplish, for all the things that we're trying to do. We need God, and we ought to be devoting ourselves, taking time to devote ourselves to prayer so that our will is aligned with His will. Really, at the root of all this, though, is uh, it's not just a, a lack of, or it's not just that we're too busy. It's also that we're too proud, isn't it? Like, we think we can do it on our own. And that's what I'm saying to God. When I wake up and run around my business, as I tend to do from time to time, without any thought of God and without any time devoted to Him in prayer, what I'm saying to God, I would never say this with my words, but what I'm saying with my actions is, God, I don't really need you. I can do this without you. I have the strength that I need. Um, and our pride and our arrogance keeps us from praying. Uh, Warren Wiersbe, in, in, in his book on being a servant of God, he said this, The trouble with too many of us is that we think God called us to be manufacturers when he really called us to be distributors. He alone has the resources to meet human needs. And all we can do is receive those resources from him and give them to others. If we're going to do the good work of serving God in his kingdom, we need to remember that we're not manufacturers. We are simply distributors. That is, if we're going to have anything to offer other people, to help other people, it has to come from God. That is, I can't do it on my own. I can't create. I can't transform. I can't, I can't manufacture. I can only distribute the good things we get from God. We get it from him, and we give it to them. Too often we're thinking that we are the pump that runs the machine, right? When really Jesus is the pump and we are simply the pipe through which he uses us to get his good gifts to others. If we're not spending time with God in, in the word and in prayer, eventually we're going to run out of having anything to give. That's why it's important for us to take time, to step back, to set time alone with God in solitude. That's why you see Jesus doing if you're not taking time to do that, eventually you're going to run out of having something to give. And the scary thing is it doesn't happen right away. Sometimes you can do that for a while, and you can give and give and give for a while, but eventually you run out, and what you're giving is nothing left. Of course, some of you may, may be here, and you may be thinking, well, that's not really uh, my problem. I'm not, uh, it's not that I'm so strong. It's really that I'm so weak. What do I have to offer? How, I, don't even know, I don't even know where to begin or how to work. I have so, so few talents. What, what can I do in the, in the kingdom of God? And, and to you, I want to say this. The Bible tells us that your weaknesses will not keep you from effectiveness in the gospel. It's your delusion of strength. That is, if we believe the gospel, it's not our weaknesses that keep us from being effective. It's our delusion of strength. If we think we can do it on our own, that's when we struggle. That's when we fail. That's when we have nothing to offer. Throughout the ages, God has used powerful work through the, through the poor, the weak, the struggling, the broken down, the outcast to accomplish his great purpose. God loves to use the weak to demonstrate his great power and his glory. <coughs> So it's important for us to realize if we're feeling weak, that's actually good. And it ought to lead us to depend on him and to turn to him in prayer. Lastly, and, and briefly, how do we learn to pray? How do we learn to pray? Well, that's actually what Jesus is teaching us here in this text, right? He's teaching his disciples how to pray. In fact, I think it's Luke that notes that uh, his disciples 
asked him that question. Lord, teach us to pray. And, uh, and this is what Jesus said. So uh, how, do we, how do we learn to pray? And I was thinking about uh, just this morning, Cyprian started to say a few words, my youngest is, who, is, who is a year old. And I was thinking about, you know, with kids, it's the same. Um, how do kids learn to speak? They listen to vocabulary, they listen to language, and then eventually they start to repeat the language that they're hearing, right? How do you learn to pray? You listen to the prayer vocabulary, and then you learn to repeat. That is, why does the Bible have so much to say about prayer? Why do we have a whole book devoted to prayer, the book of Psalms? Why is there so much in the Bible about prayer? And I think the reason for that is God is showing us in his word how to pray. He's teaching us how to pray. So if you're sitting here today and say, you know what, I'd love to learn to pray, but every time I get in prayer, I just, I lose my train of thought. I don't have anything to say. I don't know what to do. Let the Bible teach you how to pray. Devote yourself to the Psalms. I've spent the last three years in the Psalms uh, for this very purpose, trying to figure out how to pray, uh, learning how to pray. And looking at the psalmist and seeing how did they pray, and trying to use the words of the psalmist to teach myself also how to talk to God. And I want to suggest this. God's given you prayers all throughout Scripture that are meant to teach us how to pray. Look at the prayers of the Bible. Let the Bible teach you how to pray. Devote yourself day by day to the psalms. Choose a psalm early in the morning. Start start with the first one. And just go through them day by day. And let them lead you into prayer. As you see things in God's Word, let, let, let your time in the Word turn into prayer. That's why God has given us so much in Scripture about it. Even in this very prayer, you see Jesus teaching us some things about how to pray. Notice the beginning of this prayer is focused almost entirely on adoration. Lifting God up in praise and in thanksgiving. And we ought to have that in our prayer. Sometimes our prayers are all about what we need from God and not at all about who God is and what we see in Him and how He strengthens us. I'll tell you, adoration is, Jesus' teaching here, adoration is paramount in prayer. Learning to really praise God and, and, and set Him as ultimate in our hearts and in our lives is a transformative part of prayer that draws us closer to Him and teaches us to want more of what He wants. Notice you see also in this prayer, confession. Forgive us our debts as also we forgive our debtors. In the Psalms, we sang, uh, or we read this morning, Psalm 95, a prayer of adoration. You also see in the, Psalm, in the Psalms prayers of confession. And then you notice in this prayer, it's not that Jesus says, well, God already knows what you need, so don't ask him for anything. No, Jesus teaches us to ask even though God already knows, teaches us to ask for the things, but not just the things that we want, but the things that we need in order to glorify God. So prayer is about praising God and adoration. Prayer is about confessing sin to God. It's about giving thanks to God. It's about asking God for the things that we need or the things that other disciples need or the things that other people in our church or in our neighborhood or in our community or in our lives need. And I just want to say this. If, if we're going to be effective in what we're trying to do long term, we're going to be effective not just for a few days or weeks or months, but long term, we're going to be useful. 
in the kingdom of God. It will be because we become a people devoted not only to the word, but also to prayer. A people that is connected to God, dependent upon God for everything that we do. May God help us toward that end. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we do hallow your name. We lift you up high. We exalt you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you are truly holy, holy, holy. There is no one like you. You're set apart completely from everything in this world, from every one of us. But Lord, we confess to you that we often don't see you as such. We're blinded by our own selfish desires. We're um, distracted by the things of this world. And we often, Lord, don't see you clearly as you really are. We pray earnestly today, God, that you'll help us to become a people devoted to prayer. Uh, Lord, we confess to you that we are oftentimes too full of ourselves to see our need to, to, to devote ourselves to, to talking to you. And we pray, God, that you make us consistent in prayer, a church that prays without ceasing. Help us, Lord, to be devoted to prayer in all that we do. And teach us, Lord, how to pray. From your word, from the Psalms, from the prayers that you've given us, from the prayer that you've taught us even here today. Lord, teach us how to pray in a way that would bring glory to you, in a way that would align our will with your will, and in a way that would magnify your name throughout all the earth. Help us, O oh Lord, to be dependent upon you. We know that apart from you, we can do nothing. But may we never forget this truth. It's through Jesus we pray.